Welcome to Call by the Gospel. This is a show where Evan and I, I interview, and Evan's supposed to, he just hasn't done it yet, but we interview people who have become Lutheran. Um, hey, and we, I'm going to do it. Relax. Ah, okay, I believe you. And we uh, talk about their theological journeys and uh, listen to their theological journeys, and then we talk about ourselves. So today we have Pastor Brian Ketchmeyer, a good friend of mine, in fact, uh, from the days of old, we go back, and so I come into this story at a couple key highlights. Uh, in fact, at the end, I asked him what percentage of his orthodoxy uh, does credit does he give to me, and I don't think you'll be surprised by the answer. <laughs> in fact, I think the question was ninety-five or a hundred percent. But he tells his story. Uh, uh, Brian was um, grew up Roman Catholic, uh, became Southern Baptist, uh, went to the university, became a liberal Lutheran, and then ended up as a Missouri Synod pastor, one of the best teachers of the church, really. Uh, so that's the story we got. You ready? So this is this is the Pastor Ketchemire that has replaced you as the the star guest on issues, etc. Are we that's talking about right. the same guy? This okay. is the same Pastor Ketchemire who is my arch nemesis on Bible B. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. For our own show, so Good. he'll he'll introduce himself. Uh, my name is Brian Ketchemire. I am a pastor of Redeemer Evangelical Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. I did not grow up Lutheran. I was actually baptized into the Roman Catholic Church, ironically here in uh, Los Alamos, and that's actually where I'm a Lutheran pastor now. You didn't know that, huh, that he's back to his hometown, so his family's there. That's uh, pretty rare, by the way. Very, very rare. Uh, here, here's him talking about his youth. Uh, by the time I was in high school at that point where you would take confirmation of the Roman Catholic Church, I... Uh, didn't take classes. My father asked me, my dad, that is. My, my dad said to me, do you want to take classes? And I said, do I have to? And he said, no. And so I said, okay, then I'm not going to take confirmation <laughs> classes. Uh, so I, I was never confirmed. And uh, about that point in my life, though, we really were not attending mass, uh, the divine service on a weekly basis, uh, as a family. And so, of course, that uh, the, the, that moved right into this this idea of why should I even be confirmed? What's really the point? We were uh, culturally Catholic because the, the opposite of culturally Catholic is uh, you're, you're just nothing. Uh, you're, I guess, pagan, I suppose. So there you go. There's youth and not going to church. Now, I asked him in the midst of this, uh, what were your early theological memories? In fact, this, this question came at the end of, end of the interview, so I'll skip ahead. But here's his kind of most profound theological memories as a child. Well, for me individually, uh, and of course I hope this to be the, the case with with others, is that the, the Lord has created this desire to be a student and to constantly learn and to constantly grow and to constantly know what I believe, what I teach, what I confess. And then at the same time have this passion to be able to, to teach others, to tell others. Uh, so people who have experienced maybe some of the same uh, situations, to be able to say, hey, I was there, uh, and explain where, where the comfort of Christ is in the midst of all of that. Um, this whole this whole life, this process that God has drawn me through. I mean, you didn't ask me the question about what's your first uh, theological uh, thought or your, your theological thing, but but I, I can remember two things in particular when I was very very young that, that left impressions with me, and 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 I think maybe that that kind of shows 
possibly the uniqueness of me, but again, I hope that this is the case in others who, who are disciples, that is, students of Jesus, that you always want to learn. But I, I can remember two specific things. One was when I was a child before kindergarten. So I'm guessing maybe I was about four years old, possibly five, because I started at kindergarten at five. But I can remember laying in my bed and I was praying. So we, we had gone to church, uh, obviously. Uh, we were Roman Catholic. So obviously that day, we probably had just gone to mass and maybe maybe they said something about prayer or something with prayer was in my head but that night i was going to pray and I, I remember praying and i'm praying to god and uh i stop and there's dead silence <laughs> and and then i you know i am speaking to god and uh for some reason, he's not talking to me. He's not telling me anything. You know, he, how's this conversation working where I'm supposed to pray to God? I'm supposed to tell him what's on my mind and I'm trying to listen to what's on his mind and, and I, I hear nothing. I hear silence. So maybe possibly that's what they were talking about that day. But I remember resolving in my mind, I said, well, what it must be is that God is God of the entire earth and there has got to be a lot of people praying at the same time that I'm praying. And what was probably happening is I'm getting a busy signal. You know, like when you call on a telephone, it's a beep, beep, beep. Uh, I, I don't think that happens anymore because now we have the invention of voicemail. But remember, I, I grew up in the, the 70s, okay? And in the 70s, <laughs> if you call somebody on the phone and somebody's already on the line, you get a busy signal. So I resolved in my head that there's so many people praying that, uh, you know what? Uh, God is giving me the busy signal right now, but he, he'll get back to me, I'm sure. I'll just try again later. <laughs> now, I think that... That was There's before colors, I, color ID, too, apparently. That, that, that's right. There's a couple things with that. Um, I think the first thing is to remember, and this is a, we should know this because all of us have first theological memories, and they're profound, and they shape, they don't just shape your childhood, but they really shape your whole life. I mean, I remember these kind of thoughts. One of the things that we forget is that, or as when we grow up, is that, we start to think that kids can't have these profound thoughts about God, and that always proves itself to be false. So we need to be giving the kids not childish theology, but, but true theology. I mean, that, that's a reminder for me. But imagine that, you know, your first theological memory is thinking, well, God's too busy for me, and, and it has to do with prayer, this wrestling with God in prayer. That's, um, that's you know, that's important. That's, that's gonna, it's going to shape things the way you think. Uh, what I... What I found interesting in the last discourse where he, he his dad just kind of comes to him and says, so do you want to take confirmation classes? Do I have to? Well, no. Okay, I don't want to then. I mean, yeah. you hear this that a lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm going to let my children choose their religion, something like this. And um, and it's it's a bit like, I mean, so, so we're reminded that we're born into sin, and as one's born into sin, we are born as enemies of God and uh, those who would rebel against God. So to ask someone uh, who is born into sin, well, do you want to take confirmation classes? Do you want to learn about God? Do, do, do you want to study the scriptures? Is like you know asking a dog, do you want to chase after that cat? I mean, I sorry, the opposite. Do, do, do yeah. you not want to chase after that cat? Or, or it's just our our instinct is to rebel against God. So the the notion that we would let our kids choose is is completely opposite of our very nature. Yeah, that's right. 
That's right. Here, here's um, Pastor Ketchelmeyer's uh, second memory, which is going into the sanctuary and seeing a crucifix. I'm going to skip forward a little bit here and see if I can get into the middle of it. We were here in Los Alamos. My mom was going through the rigmarole of uh, registering me for kindergarten, for school. And also, she went to the church office of the Roman Catholic Church here in town because she was going to say, hey, we've moved from Santa Fe. We're going to transfer our membership up here. And I remember being in the church office. My mom is going through the paperwork and the details with the secretary. And I'm wandering around the church. And I stumble into the sanctuary. Um, of course, that's what we call it. They wouldn't have called it the sanctuary. But the, the place where the people gather around the altar, they, they call that altar area the sanctuary. But in that altar area where the sanctuary is, up above the altar was a uh, a larger-than-life-size crucifix. So you have a, a large image uh, of Jesus hanging on the cross. And I remember kind of wandering around. I go into the church, and the lights are kind of dim, and I walk into that room, and kabam! I'm confronted with a vision of Jesus. And I remember that was so impressive to me because I, I just had this, this, I look at this, and I go, wow! And this is what I thought. Jesus is here. <laughs> it was this, wow, I can see him here in this place, this place right here at this church. And I can just remember the, this whole, this feeling of awe and kind of a, a feeling of fear. I was kind of like just taken back, like a little shell shock, like, whoa, I just stumbled in on God. You know, God is here <laughs> present. And I accidentally just walked in on him. I, I can remember having that thought. So there's the second thought. What do you think about that? Well, um, I th I think that it's one thing for kids to mistake the, the symbol of God for God, and I think that that's kind of an innocent mistake. Like, have you had uh, children think that you're Jesus yet? I mean, it's yeah, just, I mean, yeah. it just happens. And that's, and that's, you know, so we just explain, well, that's not God, but that represents or symbolizes God. But um, what I think is interesting is that when he... Uh, understood the presence of God to be in a place, albeit, you know, understood that presence for a different reason. But when he understood the presence of God to be in a place, it invoked a sense or a feeling of fear. That That's what's interesting to me. Right. That's right. Uh, that, uh, and I think there's something there. I mean, something both good and also a warning, you know. I mean, to see God, this is how the prophets are. To see God is to become undone. Woe is me, says Isaiah, in the temple. Uh, when he has this sort of realization, um, yeah, that's the, um, that's the the making way for the need for the gospel. So, so that comes up. Okay, I want to kind of hit a couple of um, stories going through uh, college, and we got to get to Andy, who's a big thing. That's um, uh, Pastor Ketchmar's wife, and uh, gets him into the Baptist Church. But here's a couple of stories um, in college. You ready? Right. The, the, my journey kind of it took a, a strange turn right at that point at uh, the, the campus of UNM where I bumped into a, a, a fellow student from Los Alamos. When you're in, you're in New Mexico and Los Alamos is a small city and you, you go to a, a place like uh, uh, college and, and the entire population of the college is bigger than your city that you're from, when you see a familiar face, you, you, uh, you, you gravitate towards that individual. And so I saw a fellow classmate that graduated with me from high school and kind of just, uh, hey, just catch up with him. We had... Uh, we, we had kind of hung out to the summer after our, our senior year a couple of times, but then he went off into the Marines, and he just showed up there on campus. And the, the strange thing was his first comment to me, besides just, hey, how's it going, was, I have found out that God is real. 
Yeah, that that was a, a kind of a <laughs> an interesting comment. It had me a little perplexed. Like, well, what in the world does that mean? And of course, why is uh, he telling me this? That he found out that God is real. And that intrigued me. I, I wanted to know more about this. Uh, what, what do you mean you found out God was real? So I, I met with him a couple of times. We uh, uh, we hung out again there in college. And he was telling me how he was in the Marines. And it was through that uh, struggle and affliction in the Marines where his faith in God was uh, solidified, if you will. But uh, he, he was uh, of the Baptist persuasion. And uh, he, he went to the, uh, the Baptist Student Union there on campus. Uh, I actually went there once, or, or maybe possibly twice, but I think only once. But it was at about the same time, uh, right about the same time, kind of overlapping as when I met my, uh, my, my soon-to-be wife. At that time, obviously, I didn't know that she would be my wife. But I met her, and she was also Baptist and, of course, a Southern Baptist at that, just like this individual. It is right about this time in life where I started kind of thinking about this. Well, what what does all of this mean? What what does it mean that uh, uh, God is real and people go to church service on a weekly basis? And I began to attend uh, services actually with my my wife. Uh, obviously, she wasn't my wife at that point in time. Uh, at first, uh, obviously, just a friend, then a girlfriend, then a fiance, then a wife. And of course, all of that happened within the, the <laughs> framework of about 12 months. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, she was attending sir, uh, church uh, weekly, and that's when I started actually attending church services. Now, listen to this. Weekly. He's telling you what's motivating him. Uh, and I would go and I would learn and I would try to try to figure out what what is all of this? What's the Bible? I never really read it. My my in-laws uh, purchased a Bible for me, and I began reading the Bible really on my own. But I think that at that at this point, actually, Brian, I think I should back up because there was uh, something that I skipped. He's going to tell the um, story here about how um, say, but, about how he he runs into a campus crusade. He has a campus crusade encounter. Uh, sorry, I've got to stop it so you, I can talk. He has a campus crusade encounter. Uh, with someone. And we talked about this the last time we did Called by the Gospel. Campus huh. Crusade factored into it with Jeff Boyle. Uh-huh. And so we're going to have a similar, similar sort of thing. So, uh, uh, Pastor Ketchumai is going to back up, tell us that, and then go and, and, and then we'll catch back up with Andy and the Southern Baptist Church and the conversations that he's going to have with the pastor. So here's Campus Crusade. I remember being in Coronado dorm and a guy knocked on my door. And I open up the door, you know, who's this uh, guy at the door? Uh, you have a peephole or whatnot, but I don't know this guy. And the guy starts to, uh, to introduce himself as Campus Crusade. And he's, he's given me the, the four spiritual laws, <laughs> showing his little tract in this, in this handout. But it was an interesting conversation because what he told me, he said to me, um, or do you know for a hundred percent if you're going to go to heaven? And I kind of looked at him, and I was trying to be honest with myself. And I don't really attend church on a, a regular basis, let alone weekly basis. I don't really think much about God, but, hey, I'm a pretty good guy. And, and I remember telling him, I said, well, you know, I, I maybe 80% certainty that I'd go to heaven. <laughs> I, I pretty, don't know. I, pretty generous. A, he goes, what about 100? Said, here. Yeah, not 100. I, I can't say that 100% certainty that I know I'm going to heaven. Well, this is when he looked at me and he gave me a sales pitch. And he, he said, do you want to be certain? Do you want to know for sure, for 100% that you're going to heaven? 
Now, I, I'm no dummy, and I said, of course. <laughs> Who doesn't want to know for 100%? I'm 80%, 100%. And I remember in this little spiel, the little speech he gave to me, the canned speech, he told me that you, you don't have to uh, attend church. You know, the, the wheels in my head are, are rolling because you don't have to t- attend church to go to heaven. And I'm going, this is great stuff because I can be uh, 100% certain that I'm going to heaven and never have to go to church again. <laughs> I mean, I've just freed up my, uh, my Sunday. For the entire rest of my life, right. and I've got a one-way ticket to heaven. And, and I'm listening to the package that the guy's giving to me, and he gives me the little picture, and he shows me the throne, and he shows me Jesus on the throne, and he shows me on the throne. He says, well, the problem is you're on the throne. If you put Jesus on the throne, then he's your Lord and Savior. And do you confess that he Jesus is He even gets a kind of a Southern Savior? Baptist said, accent yes, when he tells the story. That, then you know for 100% you're going to heaven. And so do you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior? And I said, Yes. <laughs> he looked at me and said, well, now you know for 100 percent that you're going to heaven. Do you know for 100 percent? And I looked at him and said, yes, you just told me so. <laughs> well, now the guy left and uh, I was excited because, again, I've just freed up all of my uh, Sundays for the rest of my life. But I'm 100 I'm percent sure I'm going to heaven. So there's the Campus Crusade encounter. What do you think about that? Oh, it's great. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. So that that the Campus Crusade has as its uh, center um, the, um, well, the, I guess the act of the will, right? So that right. I know that I'm going to heaven because of, of me putting Jesus on the throne. And it has as um, as its center something that's somewhat anti-church. To say, I, now, I don't mean to say that the Campus Crusade folk are against church, but they want to be sure that that it's not by going to church that you're saved, <laughs> It's right. by a different act of the will that you're saved. Right. And that's so right. so this just becomes part of the sales pitch, as he said. And now this is what um, Ketchumar kind of lashed on to say, all right, I don't like going to church. I want to go to heaven. So this is the sales pitch for me. That's right. That's right. So it's easy. It's what, what is sometimes called easy believism. Yeah. Uh, it's really quite something. It's, it, it, whenever you start asking the question, you know, what's the minimum to do to be saved? You know that you're you're tracking down you're running down the wrong path, and know? it and it's effective to pit one act of the will against another. You know, yeah, so yeah. It's like, you know, it's like oh well, you don't have to go to church to be saved. You can do this other thing to be saved. Yeah, that's right. And the problem is all of it that's left out is um is Jesus. Now Brian's going to get back to the story about dating Andy and tell what why he was going to church. So here here he goes here. When I started dating Andy, uh, my wife, uh, and going to her church, you know, now it's, this is something new that I, I'm going to attend church. But of course, I, I had ulterior motives. Uh, let's just be honest. I'm a college guy. I'm dating this gal. <laughs> she goes to church on Sunday. It's an opportunity to be with this gal on a Sunday morning. So it's kind of like a date, if you will. Uh, <laughs> and so I would go to Sunday uh, church with her. And I, I began to become interested in, in what is a, a Protestant, because I grew up Roman Catholic. And one of the things that really set me off as something different with Protestants is we go into the church. It, it must have been like Memorial Day or Labor Day or Veterans Day or Fourth of July weekend or something like that. I don't know. But they basically to be any day the- in the Baptist church is going to be... <laughs> But anyway, patriotic songs. (laughs) And so my first experience there in the Baptist church is they're singing all these patriotic songs like God bless America. And 
And I'm looking around, and there's the United States flag there in the Baptist church up front uh, near where the pulpit and the, the altar, the table, as they would say, was located. And that was something new to me and very strange, because in a Roman Catholic church, you never had a, the American flag up there by the altar. So I just assumed that what made Protestants different was they were very patriotic. They were very American. That's why they are American evangelicals, you know, not Roman Catholics. So it's a it's a it's a kind of a contest of nationalities now. <laughs> and what do you think about that? Uh, both being dating, going to church because you're dating, uh, you like the girl who goes to church, and also the difference between Protestants and Catholics just seems that the Protestants are just a lot more American. <laughs> well, I think I think it says a lot about the things that we do in church are saying, at least from the bystander. Um, brings about certain assumptions about what you believe, right? I mean, uh, the, the he noticed a difference in what they were doing between the Catholic Church and the and the Baptist Church, and he figured, well, this must be a difference in belief. The the the, the Catholics are still hanging on to um to their what Roman aspect, and uh, which which defies the word Catholic, by the way, <laughs> right? But <laughs> but, uh, but but the. Uh, the Baptist is is clinging to this um, nationality thing. Yep. Now he's going to start paying attention, and uh, the thing that's going to occur, occur to him when he, especially when he starts listening and talking to the pastor, is that the in fact the thing that sets the Baptist apart is a literal interpretation of the Bible. So here's how he tells the story. The Baptists are correct. What makes them stand out and makes them different than all other churches is because the Baptists have the ability to interpret the Bible literally. And this made sense to me. Okay, well, I bought this hook, line, and sinker. That's the easy. So the other people just don't do this. Only the Baptists interpret the Bible literally. That makes sense. That's why there's uh, different churches, because they don't. Well, as time uh, progressed, you know, I began to, to start to think about this more. I began to read the Bible on my own. And I, I even changed my degree, my course of study. I, I was originally going to go into architecture. I was going to be an architect. That's what I wanted to do. Um, but then at this point in time, I was so interested in learning about the Bible. And then I was so excited about telling other people what I learned. I just wanted to learn as much as I possibly could in the shortest amount of time. And I felt at that time the best way to do this was to change my major to religious studies because they actually offered a course of study there at the University of New Mexico. Now, I didn't I didn't get a chance to ask Pastor Ketchermeyer if he would recommend that course of action to other people. <laughs> my guess is he would say no. Well, I mean, it's interesting because it was good for him because it exposed him to a lot of things, especially what it exposed him to was the history of the church. And he said in a number of times in the article, I'm not sure if in the interview, I'm not sure if we'll actually hear it in any, any clips, we might, but how he understood that the key to understanding all of these things is understanding church history and being able to see in church history how the scriptures read and interpreted and so forth. So he starts studying these things. He starts thinking about his Roman Catholic upbringing and the things he remembers from church there. He starts paying attention to the scripture and the Baptist church, and the and the first incongruity, or maybe not the first, but the intense incongruity that starts to strike him at that time, is the Lord's Supper, which is which is what's next. So let's listen to this, and then we'll pause and reflect on where we are so far. So here he's talking about the Lord's Supper. Well, I had a Roman Catholic background, and I, I said to myself, uh, well, wait a second, what about the Lord's Supper? Because the Baptist church, when he would talk about the Lord's Supper, I remember we had one 
sermon specifically on the Lord's Supper, he made it very clear that the Lord's Supper is just a symbolic reenactment that you do, a memorial supper. Now, th- this, is, uh, this is where there was a controversy. There, this was a, uh, there was a paradox here. There's something wrong because he said we interpret it literally, but the text of Scripture says this is my body, this is my blood. Now, all of this, this starts to, to, to come together because now I'm going to church service with my wife every week. And we, we talking to my friend who was from high school, looking at the, the Baptist Student Union. And now I'm looking at these texts and I'm going, there's a, a scandal here. There, there's something wrong. You can't say we interpret the Bible literally, but not the Lord's Supper. And then, of course, that flows into an understanding of baptism. Uh, if you interpret the Bible literally, then baptism actually does something. You actually are buried with Christ. You're actually united in his death and raised into newness of life. But yet the Baptist church is saying it's literal. Uh, in fact, I, I think you meant to say there that the Baptist church is saying it's symbolic. Now, so here we come to the first theological conflict, uh, the FTC. <laughs> I just made that up. But this is the idea that, and I think this is an important thing to take notice of as we hear these stories, because um, this first time that you hear that there's different theologies and you're starting to wrestle with the scriptures, this is a, a, a particularly interesting time in a person's life. And a lot of times, and it's it shouldn't be a surprise, but a lot of times these first theological conflicts come over baptism and the Lord's Supper. I mean, these are, in fact, the things that divide the different uh, denominations and the different churches. So you, you are you you're with Pastor Ketchemeyer? You know oh, yeah. what's going on. You, yep, you got any thoughts or anything that you think is interesting so far that we should make note of? Well, actually, what I was uh, thinking about what you just mentioned this first theological conflict, um, and I was just uh, thinking about how it's true that there is um, a moment in which, um, and it's probably oftentimes in college, probably not for everybody. Um, I remember when I was in high school, I learned that. Um, not everybody believed in the real presence or or that some people, um, I don't know, uh, believed uh, something else about baptism. And, uh, and so I, d- I did this too. I kind of went around all the local churches. I knew on some level most of the pastors and just asked them, what do you guys believe about this? What do you believe about that? And I was just amazed. I mean, I, I, I don't know. It makes me feel kind of dumb. Like, well, of course different churches believe different things, but it didn't right. occur to me, right? Right. That's right. And, and this is part of I mean, because you're taught the faith as you're growing up, but then at some point, you you know, the faith becomes your own faith, your own confession. That's what confirmation is supposed to be anyways, but a lot of times you're just not paying attention. And then there's a time where you're like, wait a minute, other people believe different stuff. Now, for, for Pastor Ketchemeyer, it's like f- uh, four different influences coming together. So you have the, the kind of... um. Growing up Catholic, you have going to the Baptist church, and you have studying religious studies at the university, the particularly liberal university. Now, um, he's going to make an appointment with the Baptist pastor uh, to to sort this thing out. You know, here's a teacher of the church; he should be able to teach me uh, about the Lord's Supper. And here's how that goes. Well, I, I had to schedule an appointment with that Baptist pastor to talk about my my concern, my <laughs> my, my problem. There's, there, everything's collapsing now. It all made sense until I this screeching halt of this literal interpretation. Well, I went and I met this Baptist pastor one on one, and I told him that here's the issue I'd like to discuss: is this uh, the interpretation of the Lord's Supper that uh, you say it's a uh, uh, a symbolic. But yet the scripture reads as if it were to be taken at face value. 
that when Jesus says, this is my body, that he means what he says. Now, the conversation went south very quickly because the Baptist pastor, a pastor uh, who I had looked up to, you know, each week he's up front and uh, he's teaching and he seems to be the expert on the Bible. He did not once even crack open the Bible. He did not quote a single passage from the Bible. He did not show me the Bible at all and explain to me why the Baptist interpret this symbolically. Instead, the only thing he could do was uh, mock the the silliness and the stupidity of the Roman Catholics because they actually think that the bread is the body and the blood is in the wine. Or it's a, that, that transubstantiation, the, the whole Roman Catholic teaching, of course. Um, but, yeah, of course, Roman Catholic teaching transubstantiation of the the wine becomes the blood. Um, but, but this Baptist pastor, he's, he's mocking the whole idea. How could that actually be body? How could it actually be blood? That was his only recourse, was to go to this logic. And it, instead, he just he laughed at it. He said, it's silly. That's impossible. And he told me, he said, that if that's what you believe, then you're very gullible, and I have a bridge to sell you in Florida. Well, now, when a pastor tells me that... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he has no uh, no wherewithal, no theological uh, backbone or anything from the scripture that he can explain to me, giving a reason for the hope he has. Uh, I never went back to that church again. <laughs> there you go. I think this is the key, this is a key moment and a key you know part of this whole story. This conversation with the Baptist pastor. Hey, why do you believe this and not this? And um. And uh, and there's no scripture. I mean, this if there's nothing else, well, then this is a reminder for us pastors that we we our tool is the scripture. Yes. And I was thinking, look, I'm not going to buy the bridge that you have to sell me in Florida. But if God says there's a bridge to sell me in in, in Florida, I'm buying that bridge. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this is the point. I'm not. I mean, uh, no one's asking anyone to take my word for it. I'm just asking you, why can't we take Jesus's word for it? That's right. That's right. And, 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 and here's Pastor Kachemar and, and young, and, and he wants to hear what this guy says, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But he won't, uh, but he doesn't say it. He won't, doesn't say it from the scripture. So this is one, this is one of the things, this could be a weakness of the Lutheran church. Oh, I hope and pray that it's not, but that the pastors, that we, uh, when we're talking to people who are coming to us and from other theological, um, places, that we aren't opening our Bibles to show it to them. We gotta, that's, we gotta do it. Yes. Now, um, he did, uh, so they left the Southern Baptist Church. It was uncomfortable for Andy to leave. I think she understood they were trying to sort this whole thing out. They had some inclination to go to the Lutheran Church, but not the Wisconsin Synod or the LCMS Church, which uh, Pastor Ketchermeyer had some background with. But he says, I couldn't go there, and this is why he says he couldn't. Conclusion that the Wisconsin Senate and Missouri Senate sounded like fundamentalists. <laughs> they were they were conservative. And we just left the Southern Baptist Church. These were the conservatives. These were the fundamentalists. And, and keep in mind, when I'm attending classes at the University of New Mexico, I, th- these are classes being taught by mainline Protestant professors, by, by most of these professors, or I have Jewish rabbis or, or Jewish uh, uh, professors that are teaching these classes, or Roman Catholic, like I said. And so the, this idea of fundamentalist conservative, I had come to the conclusion that that's Southern Baptist. And so therefore, anything uh, fundamentalist or sounds like a Southern Baptist has to be wrong. 
so so he he knows about the Wisconsin and LCMS, but they're fundamentalist churches, and and so they ended up in the ELCA. You know, here's a Lutheran church, has some sort of Lutheran identity, but it's not fundamentalist. That they're not the ELCA. They're not worried about you know women being pastors. They're not worried about the six days of creation. They're not worried about this sort of thing. So they're leaving the Southern Baptist Church. Influence the theology is being influenced by the university, which means it's being influenced in a liberal direction. Hmm. You, you got that? Yeah. And so they joined the ELCA, but the but the factor, the thing that uh, that got them to join was the youth group there at the ELCA church. This is also very interesting. We ended up at the ELCA, and the big the biggest determining factor at the one ELCA church that we decided to attend was that they had a youth group and a, a pastor who was working with these teenagers. And, and I was observing them at one of these events they had. And I, I, my wife and I, we, we, we came to the conclusion that we're college-age students and we could help high school students. So we, we've kind of, uh, we, we've been through high school. We've been through those years. We're growing in our, our, our faith and our knowledge of the Scripture. We could help those kids who are on the same journey as us. So we, we resolved that that's the church for us and that's the place where we went. The youth group. That's why we joined the church. There you go. But was, was part of it getting, I mean, I, I missed part of what, what was said there. Was it that, that he was asked to, to help out or something? No, he was going to volunteer to help the oh, youth volunteer. group. And in oh, okay. fact, later on, he was he's going to become the youth leader. He applied for the position. They didn't, they didn't end up hiring anybody. Uh, he waited tables for nine months. They opened up the position again, and he became youth uh, minister or director of youth or something, probably both. Who knows? And that's, in fact, the church where I was confirmed, Faith Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, the ELCA church that was there. And um, and that's when uh, Pastor Ketchermeyer and I met was when I came back after my I spent my first year of college at Fort Collins at CSU. Um, so I'd grown up in high school in this church, and he, he was probably hanging around my senior year. I'm not sure if we if we met then. We might have passed across paths. I left for Australia, then moved immediately up to Fort Collins, then came back for the summer for a couple of weeks and went to Fiji for three months. And then I moved back home before my sophomore year of college. And by that time, uh, Bri was the youth director at the church, and I was then volunteering uh, to help out. But but this is I, the thing for me that's interesting is to think, you know, we think now, you and I, Evan, that, you know, the people join the church because of the theology, that's, I mean, why would you join it? What, what other reason would there be to join a church? It's like, what other reason would there be to go to a restaurant than the food? That's, I mean, but, but it's important to remember that there's all sorts of reasons that are drawing people to the, uh, into the church, oh, silly reasons most of the, of the time, and to just be aware of that. Not that it needs to be catered to, but that we need to be retraining, especially our friends in, in which we're having these conversations, that the really the only reason you go to a church is uh, is for the theology and the teaching that's there. Probably the silliest reason would be the personality of the pastor. I can't think well, of a more horrid reason to go to a church than the personality of the pastor. I keep telling the people, look, you guys can't just come here because of the pastor's good looks. <laughs> There's more to hope. Now, I asked them about the uh, catechism flammy class. you're talking about? <laughs> the flammy. <laughs> The, how uh, if I asked him, in other words, if he learned Lutheran doctrine, 
when he was joining the Luther, the ELCA church? What kind of catechism class did they have? And here's a description of it, which is kind of a tangent sort of thing, but I want to pick it. I want to make sure we hear this because I don't think this is a strange story, part of the story at all. I think this is probably pretty normal. Adult introduction class. So not an adult instruction, but introduction. And what you would do is you would meet separately from the regular Bible classes on Sunday morning, and each week you would learn about all the different programs uh, that they had there, the opportunities to connect, uh, and, and of course to serve. You know, there was men's groups, there were women's groups, uh, there was all these different things you could do. So every week we would learn about all the programs and the things you could do to get connected in the church. And so we, we would do that. That is really an adult in, introduction class to the church. I mean, it was a large congregation. There are about 2,400 members, three full-time pastors. And, and you have a lot of these programs that are running. So you have all these different programs and different people present, and they're trying to recruit you into their group. But I, I think there was about maybe, I think maybe one Sunday morning where we learned about the Lutheran faith and maybe... Maybe one Sunday afternoon, but you're you're talking about an hour class, so maybe about two hours worth of any kind of doctrinal. What's a Lutheran? What, what what's the Lutheran Church? What do they teach? So there you go. That's the catechism class. Is all the different recruitment uh, activities to be, um, uh, to, to 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 have you join, and nothing about the teaching of the church. So that we said that you know if one of the problems of of people joining the church is they're joining because of the programs or something like this and not because of the doctrine, we realize that that, church, that problem comes from the churches themselves because hmm. they're saying, hey, come here because we got all these different programs, not come here because we have the, the doctrine of, and, and the words of Jesus. You see so, that? So that if someone were to ac- accidentally come to my church because of my stunning good looks, then hopefully they would quickly be pointed to the doctrine. Um, but in this case... And an eye doctor. (laughs) But in this case, they came because of the youth group, and then they were pointed towards other programs. Yeah, that's right. Now, an odd thing that happens in here, and this is where uh, Brian and I's story get really tangled up. He was a youth minister, and the church was an ELCA church with fairly liberal, I mean, kind of typical ELCA pastors. But they, the church also got wrapped up into some of the church growth movement. Now, church growth is a real thing. It, you know, it's, you know, it's got capital letters, capital C, capital G. It doesn't just mean growing the church. It means how do we, how do we use the uh, social sciences to, in fact, grow the church? And there's a lot of theological baggage behind it. But one of the ways that church growth manifests itself is with a guy like Rick Warren and his purpose-driven church. So this ELCA church, liberal ELCA mainline denomination, got wrapped up into the whole purpose-driven church thing. And uh, Pastor Ketchelmeyer was the youth leader, and, and so he's looking into the church, the purpose-driven uh, youth group. And so uh, here's how he tells the story there. Well, w- w- what had happened is you're part of this church, and a lot of these church growth churches, they, they need some kind of a purpose. So they, they were really, uh, uh, they, they, were, they bought hook, line, and sinker into this whole purpose-driven church. That was the big thing. And they had three full-time pastors, and one of the pastors had gone to one of these purpose-driven church seminars and had the book or whatever, and he's trying to push this whole idea on the church. They've got the, the five purposes of a church. And, and so it just, the, this, this idea of, Hey, I'm I'm going to be this youth director. It's not a pastor. It's a, they called it a youth director, but they they kind of they 
they upgraded my title to youth minister, but they didn't necessarily upgrade the, the salary. But but it was a youth director. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, again, my my degree was in religious studies. My degree was not in youth work. Uh, I didn't get a degree in how do you play games with kids. Um, so I, I started attending these kind of these local conferences with youth specialties, uh, which does things about fun and games with kids. And I became intrigued with youth specialties. And they had a national conference uh, out in California and San Diego. So I flew out to the Youth Specialties National Conference. And when I went there, you could take all kinds of different sectionals, different uh, little uh, lectures or courses. Of course, they had plenary speakers. Uh, but one of the courses that I took was on um, youth ministry, the purpose-driven youth ministry, and it was actually presented by the youth pastor from the Saddleback Church. So the the big pastor, uh, Rick Warren, had his purpose-driven life, purpose-driven church, and then the youth pastor had his own book, The Purpose-Driven Youth Ministry. Uh, So I I went to his little uh, sectional on the purpose-driven youth ministry. I bought the book, and so now I was going to... uh, kind of help coordinate what we were doing with the youth group with what the whole church was doing there in Albuquerque with the purpose-driven church. And we started uh, using those same kind of principles where you have the, the five purposes. Yeah, and what we came up with was, in fact, I, I can't remember what the five purposes were originally that Rick Warren did, but ours was, oh, yeah. O was outreach. Y was yearn. That means worship. Uh, e was uh, oh, I can't remember. A was uh, fellowship or something like this, and H is help, works of mercy. So we had the five, we have the oh yeah, and we were writing songs and we had guitar songs and everything else about the oh yeah. We were a youth group on purpose. Wow. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's oh somewhere, yeah. uh, somewhere in the world, there's a picture. Of me and uh, Pastor Ketchermeyer uh, leading uh, worship with guitars for the youth group that somewhere exists in the world. Just send that over to Evan at tabletalkradio.org. <laughs> Evan at tabletalkradio.org. I mean, we, you have to go through all this stuff. I was, I've been looking for a new image for the uh, Table Talk Radio homepage. Yeah, I imagine you, you would. Now, what do you think about So the Purpose Driven Church, y- you could hear Pastor Ketchermeyer's kind of... Uh, uh, his critique of it in a simple word where he says they need to find some purpose. <laughs> in other words, the, the thing driving the church growth and this whole purpose-driven church is that, that you don't have a purpose to begin with. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, isn't it really interesting when a church says, you know, we need to craft a mission statement and craft a vision statement, that t- it tells you what they're starting with. I mean, they're not starting yeah. with the riches of God's word. They're not starting with the doctrine. They're not starting with the institution of Jesus because mm-hmm. because they're saying, hey, we don't we do not yet have a vision, a mission or a purpose until we craft it. Mm-hmm. And that is really that's a damning condemnation of the whole idea of the church growth movement and the and the vision driven mission driven churches. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, 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 I sympathize uh, with Brian in the midst of this, I mean, he said, "Look, I, I was a religious studies major, and I wasn't, you know, taught how to do youth work, and so the, the I think that's what kind of starts this whole kind of fad-driven Christianity. Because um, if if you're in a church where you understand the 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 purpose of the church, the purpose of the institution to uh, teach and to baptize, we well, just start teaching and you baptize, but 
Um, when it's something other than that, now you got to go to conferences and read the latest books, the latest studies, the, uh, the, 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 the latest trends, and now you can do what is being successful around you. And so there, this leads us to this you know, conference after conference after conference, book after book after book, uh, fad after fad after fad of trying to keep up with um, the Warrens. <laughs> yeah. Get it? Keeping up with the Warrens. <laughs> Keeping up with the Jost- the jo- How would you say Jostines. it? The Jolosteins, <laughs> not the Johnsons. It's the Jostines. <laughs> yeah, it's trouble, huh? It's trouble. Now, um, in the midst of all of this, I wonder how to catch up here. Uh, how, how, how are we doing on time, by the way? I'm not... We're about 43 in. Okay, so let me skip around a little bit. Uh, he, he, he remembers seeing, from visiting the Wisconsin Synod, um, he remembers seeing a book called What's Going On Amongst Lutherans. I remember book. that book. Yeah, I remember that. It's a helpful book. And he thought, he, he always remembered the title. He didn't get the book, though. He, but he figured it was, um, uh, uh, what's the difference between the Lutherans and everybody else? But at this time, he's starting to realize that something's wrong. Uh, Andy, you know, still is believing the Bible and evolution and everything else. He and I are starting to debate about all these things, like, hey, the Bible's true and we shouldn't be liberals. Uh, he's trying to make me Lutheran. I'm trying to make him a... A believer in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so we should say, for those who don't know, that book is putting out the errors of the ELCA church, right? Yeah, that's right. And so he he got the book and realized hey, it's not talking about the difference. It's talking about what's going on with all the different types of Lutherans. So that led him to order the Book of Concord, the collection of Lutheran uh, uh, doctrine. And here's him talking about this. I went to the secular bookstore. Uh, oh, yeah, because he went to the Christian bookstore and they didn't have a Book of Concord. So he had to go to, like, Barnes & Nobles to get a copy of it, <laughs> which is an ironic point, and, but a true point. I'd look at the religion section. They didn't have it, but I had to special order. But I special ordered a uh, Book of Concord, a Tappard uh, translation, and I was reading that on my own. So I'm reading. I mean, that, that would be the equivalent of my daily devotion was reading <laughs> the Book of Concord. Well, at the same time, in the back of my mind, I know that there's this other book that I've got to have. It's what's going on amongst the Lutherans. So I, I go to, uh, I believe I bought it from Northwestern Publishing House directly. Um, maybe I bought it through CPH because CPH actually sold it too. But, but I bought that book because I thought that book meant what's going on amongst the Lutherans in comparison and contrast to all these other churches. That's what I thought. I thought it was a book that was going to give a synopsis of who Lutherans are. But it turns out that book has nothing to do with what's going on between Lutherans and non-Lutherans. It was what's going on within those who call themselves Lutherans. And, and the whole book was talking about the, the rise of higher criticism and the denial of miracles and what was going on in these uh, seminaries in the Lutheran churches, uh, namely the ELCA churches. And of course, even even our own Missouri Synod uh, Church, uh, namely that one in St. Louis. But but it, it's going on. Oh, what's going on amongst the Lutherans is this this creeping in of higher criticism. And, and that's so I'm reading my my book of Concord. I'm reading what's going on amongst the Lutherans. And, and I'm talking to the Lutheran pastors there, the, the head pastor about this. And I'm going, wow, what's going on amongst the Lutherans is what's going on amongst me and the church where I'm serving. And so I'm having these conversations with the, the head pastor. Um, I'm learning more. And at the same time, I'm having these debates with you. <laughs> these, that's me, these, by the uh, way. Take down theological. I was 
taking him down. Um, you could be sure of that. Where we would sit, we would we would have youth group. You know, we we would be with the kids on let's say a Sunday night, um, or a Wednesday night, or wherever whenever we'd meet, and then afterward the kids would leave. But then you and I, and of course Chad too, if you remember, usually uh, we we would just argue. We would argue and argue and argue theology, and of course that's a. Uh, that, that's been what we've been doing ever since. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, what has ever changed? Well, we, would you know? ar- we just argue theology the whole time, <laughs> which is great. That's the best thing there is to do. Now, you can believe, though, so in this whole argument that, that um, Pastor Ketcherbach comes around, hey, you know, the Bible's true. We don't have the option to reject the Scriptures. Uh, and so then what do you do? Uh, and uh, so we went to visit the, the Missouri Synod Churches, Grace Lutheran in Albuquerque, and Pastor Golter was preaching. Uh, and here's that story. But I remembered that Missouri Synod Church most clearly of all the churches we'd gone to because of Pastor Golter and his sermon. I, I mean, I can still remember his sermon. It, it, it's funny. Uh, I, I can remember he was talking about Jesus being the Lamb of God. <laughs> And he, he said, there are, because he had this catchphrase in his sermon, there are lambs, and then there are lambs. But there is only one true lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That sermon, uh, Evan, I think that sermon's got to be, let's see, 10, 11, 15, 16, 17. It's got to be 19 years ago to remember a sermon for 19 years. Now, the thing that's going on there, you realize, is that the, normally it's not the preaching of Jesus that he's getting. Uh, and so what's so, so to go and hear a sermon about the Lamb of God, this is a huge uh, thing, refreshing, incredible, mm-hmm. in fact. So so now by this time, the, it, he's, he's hooked. So the, the next step is, in fact, to leave the ELCA. He sends out uh, applications to all sorts of Missouri Synod churches saying, hey, I'm a youth minister at ELCA. I believe the Bible and the Book of Concord. Can I come to be your youth minister? <laughs> and the church that calls him uh, or that uh, that hires him to go do it was our savior down in Houston, Texas with Pastor Larry White. And he went down there for a couple of years to teach. Hmm. Um, so uh, two more quotes. And this is um, where, where I say, well, what was going on through all of these things? I mean, give us a summary of what was happening. And Pastor Ketchermeyer says this. For me, I was trying to figure out the Bible. I, I didn't read the Bible beforehand. I actually I owned a copy. I, I received a copy as a gift when I went through CCD class. That was the first communion class. But I didn't read it. you know. Uh, and so I, I'm beginning to have a desire to want to read the Scripture. I, I'm having this desire that I want to know and I want to learn. And the more that I learn, the more I want to tell people. But in that process of learning and reading and understanding there's different churches, that there's there's different opinions, that there's different interpretations. And, and having the, this Baptist pastor saying, well, yeah, there's different interpretations, that's because nobody else takes the Bible literally. I mean, that was just, okay, well, that's the key. I mean, all you got to do is you just read the passage and you take it literally, and there's no problem. And you never sway from the word of truth to the left or to the right. You're just always on God's word. But that's when that that whole thing crumbled, when all of a sudden I'm I'm critically thinking, and especially when he had that sermon on the Lord's Supper, where in his sermon he was making a mockery of how silly it is that people think this. I mean, how could it actually be the body and blood? 
Well, for me, that that was kind of the the issue at hand is interpretation, is reading the scripture, of learning and understanding so you could tell others. Well, how can you you tell others if you're not really sure yourself? Uh, And that was part of the problem with becoming a pastor and what seminary to go to. How can I become a pastor and teach when I'm not sure what I agree to, what doctrines I actually hold to, uh, what I confess and believe? And that, that whole understanding of a literal interpretation that's what when when that that key just disappeared it disintegrated before my eyes uh, you got to look and say well how do you take the scripture and when you take the scripture and you, you have the intended meaning of the author I think that's a much better approach, that what is the author trying to convey to us? What What is the Holy Spirit trying to teach us? That's the issue, not kind of a, uh, a plastic kind of a... Uh, 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 some silly method of, well, if it's just interpreted literally, it's correct. But instead, what is the intention of the author? So when Jesus takes the, the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body, take and eat. And knowing very well that right before Jesus is the, the, the you have the Passover lamb. This whole uh, Last Supper, or the Lord's Supper is taking place during the Passover. And if Jesus wanted to convey a, a symbol, something that was uh, just symbolically uh, just empty. He would have said, see this lamb over here that's dead and see the blood that has been shed? Well, that's kind of like me. I'm kind of like that lamb, and one day I'm going to be dead, and my blood's going to be shed. And just like when you put it on the door uh, post and the lentils back in the days of the Passover, well, kind of in a symbolic way, sort of, kind of, I'm going to do the same thing, but not really on a door post, but kind of in a way sort of on you. But, oh, yeah, by the way, take this cup and drink it. It's my blood. I mean, none of that made any sense to me about the intention of, of this gift that God is giving. What What, what is God actually giving? in the sacrament. The only way to understand that is not to listen to what people think or, or to what people speculate on what could or could not be given, but instead listen to the very word, the clear word of Jesus, and understand what he's teaching you, what he's telling you, what he actually wants to give you. He says, this is my body. So th- that's why it, w- it was a key issue, because if you're going to be a pastor, if you're going to teach people the scripture, you've got to be able to, to read the scripture yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and then be able to interpret it uh, correctly and rightly so that other people can learn and grow in their knowledge of salvation. Now, that he makes this distinction in that, and it's a little bit subtle, but I think it's important, between the literal interpretation of the Scripture and between the intended sense of the author. Hmm. Did, you, did you pick up on that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's possible that you might take something literally when the author isn't intending it for it to be literal. Right, that's right. Or or that you take something symbolically when the author intends it to be literal. Right. So, so he says, look at the Lord's Supper. Here's the lamb. It's sitting there on the table. It would have been very easy for Jesus to say that this is a symbol, a picture, a type or something like that. But that's not what Jesus does. So that when you look at it in the context, you see that it's um, that it is, in fact, uh, uh, intended for us to understand literally and to believe it that way. Hmm. And I remember when I was kind of working these things out, I mean, this is kind of your point to theological conflict, that you realize that uh, there are all these different uh, systems of belief, and they all use the Bible, or at least 
some of them do, use the Bible to defend the things that they believe. And you're like, well, it's all the same Bible. How can they all come to different conclusions? And I remember that uh, one of the things I noticed about the uh, Lutheran understanding of Scripture is that it, uh, in the end, ended up pointing to Jesus and his work for salvation. So, um, I mean, th- this is part of our, our uh, methods or principles for understanding the Scriptures, that it needs to fit with the... Um, what we call the rule of faith, but and, and I think that's what what uh, Kejemar is starting to wrestle with too. That saying, look, we're not just free to just read this any way we want, and every reading, every interpretation is equally valid. That there's actually ways to read it, and you could be wrong. <laughs> I think that's what he's figuring out. That's right. That's exactly right. Now, one more. I got the last quote. Okay. Yep. Uh, and we can kind of talk via summary. But I asked him this question, and I think the I, can't, I don't have any of my audio on his recording because he recorded it with his stuff he uses for the Redeemer Theological Academy. Uh, so the recording that I captured doesn't have it on there. So we go back and forth a little bit uh, on this, uh, which is why he's laughing at me. But I think I, the question I asked was, do I get ninety-five percent or one hundred percent credit for your orthodoxy? And uh, and here was his answer. I would answer. prefer either a multiple choice quiz or a true false quiz. So if we could do true false or multiple choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he thought he was pretty funny too. Yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah, this sounds like something you picked up from Campus Crusade. Are you ninety-eight percent certain or a hundred percent certain of where your orthodoxy came from? Um, I would say that uh, you definitely did not play any close to 100% uh, uh, reason for my orthodoxy. I can't believe this my answer. My orthodoxy, by the way. actually, I would give the 100% credit to the Book of Concord. Uh, <laughs> it is these, these documents that the theologians of the past have uh, written down for posterity's sake so that we can be clear and we can be certain of the gospel as it has been preached in times of controversy. And, and that was a time of controversy. What is the clear gospel? And so my orthodoxy, uh, sad to say, Brian, is not because of you. It's a result of the Lutheran, uh, the Lutheran confessions. The Book of Concord are, are Lutheran uh, forefathers, our spiritual fathers in the faith. Um, but yes, you definitely had a role. That's all we want to stop there. <laughs> I do like that about the Con- Book of Concord, by the way. I mean, what what are you talking about? I don't like that at all. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's now. I, I would have been interested to hear about how those three years went at um, the Lutheran Church in Houston, because uh, uh, Lawrence White he's a he's a pretty uh, tell it how it is kind of a pastor, and I'm sure as as uh, Pastor Ketchemeyer still kind of working these things out in his mind. I'm sure that that was a pivotal time in his life, too. Uh, not, not as important as the years previous <laughs> to that. Let's keep, well, the let's ones where you're around. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Let's keep our priorities yeah, straight. Okay. Here. Now, this, this, the role of the Book of Concord, I mean, really, it's really quite incredible that the Book of Concord is probably one of our best evangelistic tools that we do not use. We, it's underused. I mean, if we think the catechism is underused, which it is, I mean, the, uh, the Book of Concord is an absolute treasure, but we look at it like a book for theologians rather than a book for all people. But here, you know, here's Pastor Ketchum. A layperson, he's got liberal tendencies, he's got some Lutheran tendencies, he's got some Catholic background, he's trying to figure this stuff out, and where does he find recourse and comfort, and where does he find uh, a joy and the truth of the, of the Lord's Word? Uh, where is he hearing the gospel? It's in the Book of Concord. It's really quite stunning. It's wonderful. I mean, for the people that are listening, 
And they've been wondering, hey, should I buy and read the Book of Concord? Well, yeah, the answer is yes. It's like Pastor Ketchermeyer who says he was reading the Book of Concord devotionally, which is really, in, in fact, how it's intended to be read. I remember I was doing an interview with Pastor Ketchemeyer years ago when uh, the SMP, the Specialized Ministry Program, first came out. And I was talking to him about that, and uh, something that he said during the interview kind of stuck with me. I wasn't going through seminary at the time. And uh, he, we we're talking about you know whether a person graduates or not, and all this stuff. You know, having a, a master of divinity versus being certified to be a SMP. And he said, it, "Look, either way, whether you're an SMP guy or you're a graduate, if you graduate from the confessions, you go to the purpose-driven life." <laughs> In other words, if you think that you have used up all the knowledge you can get from the Book of Concord, and we would add to that to the scriptures, of course. But if 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 I can graduate and no longer need this book of concord then i'm going to start needing something else like a program but if and, and this is this has come out in the interview uh, like pastor kachemar said if i'm always wanting to learn more and there's more treasures to be found in these confessions i learn more about uh the the reading of scripture from these confessions then um that's that's what's going to form my preaching and my teaching yep that's right all right, so let's put it all together. What you what are what are the big takeaways from you from from hearing this? Um, well, I think maybe maybe that's it. Maybe in Pastor Ketchemeyer's case, this uh, this desire to keep learning, so that he actually changes his ma- major <laughs> at college from architecture to religious studies, which we already mentioned might be ill advised in some cases, but but. But he did it because he wanted to keep learning. And then when he uh, was kind of securely in this ELCA church, he learned about something that uh, that was going on amongst the Lutherans. And so he, he pursued that. He's he, uh, never never happy to kind of just uh, sit on his hands in the darkness. And, uh, and that's a good thing. And I think then where, where we can see the benefit in this is that— um, that the, the the Lutheran tradition has th- those teachings and confessions out there before you. Like, like we're not we're not keeping it in the closet what we believe. We're wanting people to say, "Look, you want to know what a Lutheran is? Read this. This is what a Lutheran is." And uh, we're we're very um, out front about it. And and for anyone who's interested in discovering what it is we believe or why we believe the things we do, we got it. It's right here. And uh, and read it. Yeah. No, that's right. That's right. And and you know, so so Luther gives us the introduction. I think the large catechism, small catechism. He says, "Look, we can never outgrow the catechism, this simple doctrine." Mm. And um, and and Luther says it like this: We can never stop learning what God can never stop teaching. And thanks to the listeners for sticking into the end. Again, we, you know, this is a sort of a new thing. This is number three for called by the gospel. So we want to hear from our listeners uh, your own thoughts. Uh, your own reactions, the thing that stood out for you. So you can uh, you can log that stuff at uh, tabletalkradio.org. 